Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about chronic kidney disease. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash ckd or in the renal section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Chronic kidney disease describes a chronic reduction in kidney function. So this is a sustained reduction, not just a single one-off abnormal result, but a reduction in the kidney function over time. This reduction in kidney function tends to be permanent and progressive. So what are the causes of chronic kidney disease or a chronic reduction in kidney function? A key cause is diabetes. Other causes are hypertension, age-related decline, so your kidneys will gradually get slower as time goes on and you get older, glomerular nephritis, polycystic kidney disease, and certain medications can cause a reduction in kidney function such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs like ibuprofen or naproxen, chronic use of proton pump inhibitors like omeprazole or lansoprazole, and a medication used in psychiatry called lithium. So what are the risk factors for chronic kidney disease? Well, the key risk factor is older age. Other risk factors are chronic conditions like hypertension, diabetes, people who smoke cigarettes, and the use of medications that affect the kidneys long term. So how does chronic kidney disease present? Well, usually chronic kidney disease is asymptomatic, so they don't have any symptoms and the decline in kidney function is diagnosed on routine testing of the kidney function. A number of signs and symptoms might suggest chronic kidney disease, and these are things like pruritus, which is itching of the skin, loss of appetite, nausea, edema, so swelling or fluid building up under the skin, muscle cramps, peripheral neuropathy, which is abnormal sensations or a loss of sensation in the distal limbs, so in the hands or the feet, pallor or pale skin, and hypertension. So what investigations would we do in somebody to diagnose chronic kidney disease? Let's talk about the estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR. And this can be checked using a use and ease blood test or a renal profile blood test. And this takes into account various components of the blood test such as creatinine level as well as the patient's age and other factors to estimate how quickly the kidneys are filtering the blood and producing urine. So it's an estimation of the filtration rate of the glomerulus in the kidney. In order to diagnose chronic kidney disease, two EGFR tests are required three months apart in order to confirm a sustained reduction in kidney function and make a diagnosis of chronic kidney disease. Another test we can do is to look for proteinuria, which is protein in the urine, and this can be checked using a urine-albumin-creatinine ratio. So this is looking at the ratio inside the urine of a protein called albumin and a chemical called creatinine. And it's normal for the kidneys to be filtering creatinine out of the blood. So you normally expect creatinine to be in the urine. However, it's not normal for the kidneys to be filtering albumin out into the urine because it's a bigger molecule and a protein that doesn't normally end up in the urine. So what we can do is 
check the urine to see how much albumin and how much creatinine is in there. And if there's a lot of albumin compared to the creatinine, this suggests the kidneys aren't working quite as well and they're filtering lots of protein. So you have proteinuria. So a result, an albumin-creatinine ratio result of more than 3 milligrams per millimole is significant and suggests proteinuria. Another thing we can look for is hematuria. And this can be checked using a urine dipstick. If there's more than one plus of blood in the urine, this is a significant result. And hematuria should always prompt investigations and suspicions for malignancy, such as bladder cancer, which can cause gentle bleeding into the urine. Of course, hematuria is quite common with urinary tract infections. So having hematuria doesn't always suggest there's malignancy present. A renal ultrasound scan can be used to investigate patients with accelerated chronic kidney disease, patients who have hematuria, or where patients have a family history of polycystic kidney disease, or any evidence of urinary outflow obstruction to make a diagnosis of why they have chronic kidney disease. We need to talk about the stages of chronic kidney disease, and this is really the classification. There's two different scores that are used on the staging system. One is the G score and one is the A score. And the G score is based on the EGFR, so on the glomerular filtration rate. G1 is an EGFR of greater than 90. G2 is an EGFR of 60 to 89. G3A is an EGFR of 45 to 59. G3B is an EGFR of 30 to 44. G4 is an EGFR of 15 to 29. And G5 is an EGFR of less than 15, which is also known as end-stage renal failure. The A score is based on the albumin-creatinine ratio and is a measure of the proteinuria. So A1 is less than 3 milligrams per millimole. A2 is 3 to 30 milligrams per millimole and A3 is more than 30 milligrams per millimole. So if somebody has an EGFR of 33 and an albumin-creatinine ratio of 15, their stage is G3BA2. And you might see this written in letters from renal physicians or coded in the notes in a general practice summary of care record. It's worth noting that the patient does not have CKD if they have a score of A1 combined with G1 or G2. They need an EGFR of less than 60 or proteinuria for a diagnosis of CKD. So what are the complications of chronic kidney disease? The key ones to remember are anemia, renal bone disease, cardiovascular disease, peripheral neuropathy, end-stage kidney disease and dialysis-related problems. The next thing to talk about is when you would refer a patient to a renal specialist. And I suggest referring to a specialist when there is an EGFR of less than 30, an albumin-creatinine ratio of more than 70 milligrams per millimole, accelerated progression of the disease, which is defined as a decrease in EGFR of 15 or 25% or 15 mils per minute over a period of one year. So if they started the year with an EGFR of 40 and it dropped to 20 over a one-year period, then that would be more than a 15-point drop, which would mean they should be referred to a specialist. 
The other reason for referring to a specialist is uncontrolled hypertension despite four or more antihypertensive medications. So how do we manage chronic kidney disease? Well, there's four aims of management. The first is to slow the progression of the disease. The second is to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. The third is to reduce the risk of complications. And the fourth is to treat the complications. So let's start by talking about how we slow the progression of the disease. Well, firstly, we need to optimise any modifiable risk factors. So optimise their diabetic control, optimise their hypertensive control, get them to stop smoking and treat any glomerulonephritis that's present. Next, let's talk about reducing the risk of complications. This can be done by asking them to exercise, maintain a healthy weight and stop smoking. So simple lifestyle advice. They'll also need dietary advice about maintaining the correct level of phosphate, sodium, potassium and water in their diet and intake. And the other thing we do is offer atorvastatin 20 milligrams as primary prevention of cardiovascular disease. Next, let's talk about treating complications. We can do this using sodium bicarbonate to treat a metabolic acidosis, iron supplements and erythropoietin which we'll talk about shortly in order to treat the anemia. Vitamin D can be used to treat renal bone disease. Dialysis can be used in end-stage renal failure. And renal transplant can also be used to treat end-stage renal failure. So how do we treat hypertension in a patient who has chronic kidney disease? Because hypertension is a known key complication and also a cause of declining kidney function. ACE inhibitors so angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors are the first-line treatment in patients with chronic kidney disease. So this is things like lisinopril or ramipril. And these are offered to all patients who have diabetes and an albumin-creatinine ratio of more than 3 mg per millimole. All patients who have hypertension plus an albumin-creatinine ratio of more than 30 mg per millimole. And all patients, even if they're not diabetic or hypertensive, who have an albumin-creatinine ratio of more than 70 mg per millimole. In patients who have chronic kidney disease, the aim is to keep the blood pressure less than 140 over 90, or even more aggressively, to keep it less than 130 over 80 if the albumin-creatinine ratio is above 70 mg per millimole. It's worth noting that we need to monitor the serum potassium because both chronic kidney disease and ACE inhibitors cause hyperkalemia or a high potassium level. Let's talk about anemia of chronic disease. Healthy kidneys produce a hormone called erythropoietin and erythropoietin is a hormone that stimulates the production of red blood cells in the bone marrow. Damaged kidney cells in chronic kidney disease cause a drop in this hormone called erythropoietin and therefore there's a drop in the production of red blood cells and subsequently patients with chronic kidney disease develop anemia. This is typically a normocytic anemia. So the red blood cells, even though there's fewer of them, they're of the same size. If the patient has a small red blood cells, so microcytic anemia, think about whether they're iron deficient. Patients with anemia due to chronic kidney disease can be treated with erythropoietin, by giving exogenous erythropoietin, remember exogenous means externally produced erythropoietin, 
we stimulate the production of red blood cells and help to treat the anemia. Blood transfusions should be limited as much as possible because they can sensitize the immune system, which is a process called allosensitization. And this means that when they have a kidney transplant, any transplanted organs are more likely to be rejected. So minimizing blood transfusion is important to prevent rejection of any future kidney transplants. If the patient has iron deficiency anemia, this should be treated before they're offered erythropoietin. Intravenous iron is usually given, particularly in patients who have dialysis for end-stage renal disease. Giving them oral iron is always an alternative, however often is not as effective. Next, let's talk about renal bone disease. Renal bone disease is also known as chronic kidney disease mineral and bone disorder, or CKD-MBD. There's three main features to be aware of. Osteomalacia, which is softening of the bones. Osteoporosis, which is thinning or becoming more brittle in the bones. And osteosclerosis, which is hardening of the bones. There's a few x-ray changes to be aware of. The classical one in your exams is where the spine shows sclerosis at both ends of the vertebrae. And sclerosis is more denser white areas as well as osteomalacia in the centre of the vertebra, which is less white. So you have these horizontal lines at each end of the vertebra going up the spine on an x-ray. And this is classically known as the rugger jersey spine after the stripes that are found on rugby shirts. Let's talk about the pathophysiology of renal bone disease, because it can be a little bit complicated, but once you get your head around it, it's much more easy to understand. To start with, there's a high serum phosphate level, and this occurs due to reduced excretion of phosphate in the kidneys. Next, there's a low active vitamin D level, because the kidney is essential for metabolizing vitamin D into its active form. So because the kidney is not working as well, you don't get as much active vitamin D. Active vitamin D is essential for calcium absorption in the intestines and the kidneys. Therefore, there's a low serum calcium. And vitamin D is also important and regulates bone turnover. So having a low active vitamin D level causes dysregulation of bone turnover. Patients develop a secondary hyperparathyroidism, so a high parathyroid level, which occurs because the parathyroid glands react to the low serum calcium and the high serum phosphate by excreting more parathyroid hormone. Because parathyroid hormone, remember, is used to take calcium out of bones and increase the blood calcium level. This high parathyroid hormone level increases the osteoclast activity, and the osteoclast activity leads to absorption of calcium from the bones. Osteomalacia, which remember is softening of the bones, occurs due to the increased turnover of bones without an adequate supply of calcium. Osteosclerosis, which remember is hardening or more dense bones, occurs when the osteoblasts respond by increasing their activity level to match the osteoclasts and this creates new tissue in the bone. Remember that osteoblasts are responsible for laying down new bone tissue. Because there's a low level of calcium, the tissue that is laid down, so the more dense bone, is not properly mineralized. So it's abnormal but still very dense bone. And then finally, osteoporosis can exist alongside the renal bone disease due to other risk factors such as the patient's age and the use of steroids 
maybe to treat a glomerular nephritis. So how do we manage renal bone disease? Well, it involves a combination of active forms of vitamin D, like alpha-calcidol or calcitriol, a low-phosphate diet, and bisphosphonates can be used to treat osteoporosis. So thanks for listening to this episode on chronic kidney disease. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. It wouldn't be possible to maintain it without his hard work and reliability. I hope you found this podcast helpful. If you did and you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. If you don't fancy picking up a copy of the book, you can find all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com. If you have a free moment, I'd be really grateful for a rating or review on the iTunes podcast store. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on renal dialysis.